in chapter 4. We read a little story at the start of this chapter, and then I want to show you that actually this... Uh, oh, we've had a complete uh, technological meltdown. <laughs> All good. Um, so this chapter of Kings... It's kind of like this random little, well, it's not random, none of uh, what, I, what I love about actually getting to know a little bit more about the Bible and understanding how intentional God is with every word that we're given. Uh, it's not random at all, but what it seems like is that it's a little out of place. It's kind of a little collection of stories about Elisha. If you understand, um, the, the book of Kings is... A little bit of an overview. It kind of goes from uh, the the start of a period in the time of Israel, all the way through to basically when it all comes crashing down, uh, and talks about how the the desire of the people gets in the way of the desire of God for His people. And it talks about how all the leaders rise and fall and how the nation turns to God in their moment of desperation and then turns away from God in their privilege and prosperity and how God leads them back to himself over and over again. It's a story of God's grace as, as much as it is a story of human disgrace. It's a story of people sought by God as much as it is a story of people who are just so ready, readily turned away from him. And this little chapter could be like the prophetic overview of what's to come for the future of humanity. And if you read it at face value, you're not going to see it like that, but I'm going to give you a couple of little keys to open up these stories and understand why they're placed together in what seems like a little collection of short stories. We're starting in verse 1. It says, Now the wife of a member of the company of prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but a creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. Now, if you remember, I spoke at the beginning of this series and I talked about how uh, when we get this financial thing wrong, it ends up in us. Or actually, it was even a step before that when I talked about how when we refuse to forgive others the debt that they have against us, we can become oppressors. So there's a, a connection between uh, being indebted and then the oppression that comes with that. And so the reason why we talk about kingdom economics and the reason why we're talking about things such like as practical as how we deal with our finances is because God in his wisdom, knew that we needed to get these things right so that we would be able to treat each other right. When we get this out of place, we serve not God, but stuff. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She answered, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. He said, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbours, empty vessels, and not just a few. Then go in, 
Shut the door behind you and your children and start pouring into these vessels. When each is full, set it aside. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her children. They kept bringing vessels to her and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another. And he said, there is no more. And the oil stopped flowing. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals to us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus, who has made known to us who you are and that we can see all of these things in light of who he is. We pray for revelation this morning. We pray for freedom. We pray for, uh, for provision, God, that to us and through us you would give the resources, you would give the ability to steward those resources that we would be able to lead by example, that we would be able to witness to your kingdom, that we would be the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you this morning what this text shows us in the story of this widow who in her moment of lack goes to the man of God and asks for his provision and there's a subtle little key in here and it's something that I never noticed you know I always focused on the miracle in this story and it's a famous one that you know we hear preached on from time to time particularly around times of giving or things like that it's something I've heard so many times and I never saw this and when I opened it up this last time, I was almost like, how did I not see this, God? But what the prophet is showing when he speaks to the woman, what this story is showing us, and when I go through each little story and how they fit together as a picture, come to understand that it's the same thing that God was showing when he led his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness where they had to learn to rely on each other and each one would only take what they needed for the day and not to uh, what I want to show you in this passage is that our capacity is limited only by our community our capacity is only limited by our community See, only what we can hold, we can keep. And the way of the world would tell you that you need to build bigger walls around your property so that you can store up more, so that you'll never go without. It'll teach you to develop ways to make sure you don't have to pay too much tax or give too much away. It'll teach you how to protect what you have just in case there's not enough. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the myth of scarcity. But if we believe that God is our provider, then we see things a new way. And the prophet here shows by saying... Go out and borrow vessels from all of your neighbours. Empty vessels. Now we know, if you've heard a few sermons or read a few devotions, we've come to understand through reading that 
vessels represent, or we actually are talked about as vessels. That we're the vessels in uh, this time of being under grace, not in the old covenant, but we're the vessels of God's presence, the vessels of God's kingdom in the world. We also know that in the Old Testament that the vessels, uh, there was various types of vessels and that there was great significance in how, uh, you, like every household would have one that was required for ceremonial purity, one that was required um, for uh, containing things like the oil that would be used for cooking and all sorts of things. Basically everything required this oil to be, uh, you know, making bread, whether it was cooking the food, even some of the ceremonial requirements. The oil was precious. So much so that so much of the imagery we see in the Bible around the anointing of God is talked about symbolically as oil. Because it's precious. Because it's everything. Because everything, by it, everything becomes what God wants it to be. And so when this passage talks about the empty vessels of the widow's neighbours, it's talking about the people around us, our neighbours, that right now don't have what we have. And so in her lack, the prophet calls her to go and to collect up all the empty vessels of her neighbours. And yes, this story is talking about how God provides for her because as long as she's pouring out, the oil still keeps flowing. But also that her capacity is limited by how many vessels she can borrow. Has anyone ever attempted or needed to borrow something from a neighbour? Like, have you ever had to, you know... Go ask someone if they've got jumper leads because you left your lights on. Or drop in next door to see if the power's out there because something's tripped in your house and you're not sure if it's a... You you ever had to approach your neighbours for something? It's actually quite unusual in our culture to know neighbours, maybe beyond the one next door... You know, it, we're very, uh, it's quite normal to get out of your car, to see someone that you live right alongside and to not say anything and to continue on into your door. You know, people pull into their garage and shut the door behind them and don't get out of the car until there's no one visible so they don't have to talk to anyone. I'm totally that person. Like, I, I will wait for the next lift so that there's not people in the lift that I have to awkwardly not talk to. Um, this guy, on the other hand, will run for the lift with the person in it so he's got someone to talk to. Um. <laughs> but this widow knew at least some of her neighbours. 
She knew at least enough to go and ask if she could borrow a vessel from them and enough that they trusted her with something that was quite a precious thing. If she was a widow living in a neighbourhood, I'm probably going to guess that she wasn't living in the best neighbourhood. She's probably in the outer suburbs, lower, you know, income, no income in those days, no provision for those that don't have a husband. And so here she is in her moment of lack and goes and asks others around her who are probably not too different in situation for something that's incredibly precious in their context and they allow her to borrow it. These are her community. She has people around her who let her do this, but her capacity is limited by her community. Oh, we have slides. Great stuff, guys. Good job. Uh, I'm just going to jump down to the next couple of stories. There is by the way, so much in that story that I could preach on, but everyone would be a different message, so I'm not going to do it today. But I want to show you that there is four main stories in this chapter. There is this story of the widow, and then there's a story about a son that's promised, that faces death, the promise looks like it's over. And then God does something, hope comes riding in on a donkey. So the next story, and I'm not going to read through each one, but you can do it yourself later, is a story about the same prophet, the same man of God, who speaks to a woman who is without a child, in her older years and he promises her a son and she says don't lie to me you know don't set me up for disappointment here this isn't going to happen but sure enough she has a son but then in his youth he's out working with his dad in the field and it says that he dies and she takes him and puts him uh, upstairs in the room that she keeps aside for the prophet whenever he's in town. There's a whole other sermon right there. But she puts the child in the room and sends for the man of God, who it says comes back riding on a donkey. Echoes. I love the Bible. But what happens is he brings life to the child. And so what we're set up here with is a picture of how we need each other, how our capacity is limited by our community and how a son of promise who looks like it doesn't work out how we think it's going to work out, but God has a way and God brings life and restoration. Then we have these two strange little stories about food in the context of a society that's facing lack and famine 
There's a story about a stew, of all things, a pot. And this story, uh, it starts with, you know, a well-intentioned instruction by the prophet to, for everyone to bring together everything that they want or have to, ha- to eat and so that they can make this big pot meal. But unintentionally, someone brings in something and it says uh, that he didn't know, but it was a bitter, veg- a bitter root vegetable, not a vegetable actually, but a poisonous plant that's added to this pot. And it, on trying to eat it, one of the other company of the prophets says, Sir, there's death in the pot. And so we see, if you to look at this as an overview, we see God's plan for community and provision. We see the son of promise that comes and we see that then again back to this idea of community but that things don't quite work out how it's supposed to be and things have been put in the pot that don't belong in the pot. And if I was to look at this passage of stories and maybe assess it prophetically or try and find where we are, I'd look at it and say, perhaps we're about there. In a place where we know who the sun is and how it works out. We know that he comes riding in on a donkey, that hope comes and life comes and that we're called to create something that's going to provide for everyone but unintentionally we're in a place where we've put things in the pot that don't belong in the pot. See, when there's lack, then in desperation things are brought in that can contaminate. You notice that when, you know, I mean, as simple as when there's not enough. Have you ever let your car run to absolute, like, below zero? Like, it's on empty, you're kind of doing the thing. If you're like my car, it's got the zero kilometres. It tells you how long you've got to go. And you're like, how many zero kilometres are there to go? Do you really know? But the problem with doing that is when you run it on absolute empty is the bottom of your fuel tank actually has an amount of like settled contamination that then gets run through your engine and you can end up causing problems in your car. But it's because of a lack that that happens. The last story. And I'm going to put it all together at the end. But the last story is about a prophet that feeds a multitude. Again, we're back to this echo. And it's not hard to see why some said, is he Elijah or Elisha? But 
It's a story about how those that served the house uh, of the Levites were called to bring first fruits every year uh, that would provide for those that were serving, you know, at priestly duties, those that were the um, that weren't allowed or weren't uh, cultivating the land, those that weren't doing uh, the things that meant that they would be able to provide for themselves because that's how their uh, society was structured. And so on this allocated amount of first fruits coming in, the prophet is faced with a situation where there's a multitude that are hungry because of famine. And so he says to his, uh, to, uh, the company of the prophets, or in some translations it says the sons of the prophets, but basically those he's raising up, those he's leading. And he says to them, take this and feed them. And they say something which then the disciples of Jesus echo when he's, uh, and they say, not even, uh, not even uh, a, a year's wages or something. You know, it's, it's, it's very similar to the way that the disciples respond where they're basically saying, this, there is no way that this is going to provide even a morsel, let alone enough for all of these. And then... Uh, This is like the original multiplication of the bread. (laughs) That we understand Jesus to be the fulfilment of. See, he takes it, hands it out, and it says that there was enough for all. If we jump to the story in John chapter 6, um, got it with me. In John chapter 6, the disciples are asked by Jesus, how should we feed them? I wonder if he's thinking about this verse and he's saying, it's like, you know when the preacher says, um, asks you a question, you really think you should know it? If you guys feel bad when that happens, like me, times 10. So like someone answer for me because I'm thinking if someone doesn't answer, I don't actually know the answer to this and I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to. Uh, That's just a moment of honesty with your pastor. Um, But it's uh, I think it's like a Jared specialty that he manages to find something that I don't know the specific answer to and I'm like waiting and hoping someone else answers it first. Uh, So it's like Jesus is saying to the disciples what should we do here? Do you know your scriptures? Do you know what the prophets did? His challenge to them is, do you believe that I can do greater than what they could do? Because these stories were told in the temple. These stories were taught on by those who were studying the scriptures. They would have had discussions about what it meant for Elisha to feed a thousand with the first fruits. And when he challenged them to think about that scripture, he makes the connection 
that we see reflected later in Hebrews where it talks about the first fruits given for many. That Jesus is that first fruits offering where the prophet just did a miracle to multiply it. God himself provided it. And I ask the band to come and join me. So we've talked about Jubilee economics. How systems and structures need to be geared towards restoration. We as the church are called to speak to a better way. Whether that means standing up, like Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, defend the cause of the widow and stand up for the poor. Or whether that means we as the church begin to speak into things in our community that look more like this system. That's why some of the things we want to do around providing opportunities for education or even to start to develop opportunities for people to grow small businesses or social enterprises, things to support people to be able to develop skills so that they can work. Because we're called to address the systems. See, the gospel isn't financial, but it will affect your finances. The gospel is not social, but it will affect our social systems we spoke about exodus economics dealing with our own excess only taking enough so that there is enough for everyone and preparing so that we can have rest and the prophets Elisha here Teach us about how we can create capacity within community. Because not everyone will be able to do all that's required. Not everyone will be able to have enough every day. The problem with living in a fallen world is that there is famine that there is people going without, that there is things that go wrong. There is people who are not able to provide for themselves and there are people who have been robbed of the opportunity to be able to provide for themselves. But the gospel speaks hope to all of that. And the hope that I believe that he's spoken to all of us and yes, we all have individual hopes and there are things that he's spoken, whether it be a promise that you, you know, have provision in an area, whether it be a dream for a business or uh, whether it be abilities or opportunities in your work life, whatever it is, he's spoken individually to us all, but to us all collectively, he's given a hope for a better way called his church called his kingdom that's 
revealed through his church. In moments of not enough, we're called to gather around each other. And let me take a step back from the financial implications of this because the story that I started with, it doesn't have to only apply to finances. See, the thing with that picture of anointing, it's every area of our life. Maybe you don't have what it feels like anything to pour into your neighbour's vessels if it was to mean finances, but maybe you have encouragement, you have time, maybe you have prayers that you can offer up, maybe you have skills or abilities. It doesn't just look like stuff. But the flip side to this is if you're an empty vessel and you're part of his church, then sometimes it means handing over what is empty and allowing others to help be the provision. Sometimes it means lifting a hand and asking for prayer or support. Maybe it means admitting that we don't have it all together. Sometimes it even means asking for help with something practical, whether it be finances or assistance to do something. Maybe it's advice where we're not quite the expert in an area, whatever that looks like. Our capacity, not only what God can... do through us, but what God can provide for us is limited by our community. We're called alongside each other because that's how God can provide for us. That's why this thing called church is so important, not so we could build big names for ourselves or make a comfortable space where we can exist outside of the world and get away from it all. It's because we were called to be something different, to show something different. So if you'd all stand with me this morning. And I want to invite anyone this morning that may feel like they're an empty vessel, like they lack, maybe you're struggling financially, maybe you're struggling to connect with God, maybe you're struggling feeling lonely or isolated, Or maybe you've got something that God's put on your heart, you're pursuing, but you just don't feel like you can do it alone. Whatever you're lacking, you're feeling empty of, we want to stand alongside you as a community today. 
God is a God that provides. It's not because of what we can do. See, the widow had nothing to do with the oil that came from the vessel that she was pouring out of that was God. But she positioned herself in a way to be obedient to what God was asking of her. So if that's you this morning, would you come forward, position yourself in a place to be obedient to what God is asking from you? We'd love to pray. Lord, we rely on you this morning. You are our source. You are our Savior. You are our sanctuary. You, God, are the God who makes a way. You make rivers in dry wasteland. You breathe life to dry bones, Lord. You bring oil where there seems like there is no more provision, God. We believe you for it today. If that's you, just come forward right now. So we begin to sing a song. And take a moment to reflect on what God's calling us to give. Those remaining in your seats, would you ask what it is that God would have you pour out What is it that you're... Maybe you even still feel caught up, like I don't have much to give. Well, what do you have in the hand? Like the prophet asked the widow, what is it that you have in your house? Ask God to reveal it. If there's anyone else to come, just come forward as we sing.
the book of Kings, Second Kings, ends with a strange little, almost even just a verse. It's like two or three lines. We're in amongst everything that's gone wrong in the exile, in the lack. God speaks to his people. And he says that he makes a place for them at the king's table. In what looks like a hopeless conclusion, Jesus is the hope and the invitation to take a seat at the table is opened up no matter what our situation looks like. Church, as we come together around the communion table this morning, I just want to briefly reflect on what Tara just spoke about and that idea that God always invites us back into his story. In this place, walls are broken down. God breaks down those walls that separate us from him. We need to come broken and vulnerable to the table. Even though we turn away, we are welcomed back in. So no matter what you think that you've done that will separate you from God, there is nothing that can separate you from God. God always invites us back to the table and into this family and community. We need each other. And like Tara said, our capacity is only limited by our community and those we let into our community. I pray that we could be a community that welcomes all in, that we can support each other, and share what we have so that everybody has enough. So let us not forget what Jesus has done for us and what we are welcomed into this morning. So as we read the call to the table. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith, and you have a little. You have been here often, and you are who are here for the first time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have decided to follow Jesus for the first time today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power, Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now if necessary and go be a forgiver and come right back. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him here. So come.
church, this is the this is the time where we read our benediction together. And it's really a declaration of the commission given to us by Jesus. Um, It's a declaration of how we've come here and the Spirit has poured out everything we need into us so that we can go out and be, be Jesus in our workplace, in our community. We can shine his light. So if, um, if the media could put it up, we'll read it together. Church, we have come as we are, but by his grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place, the spirit that anointed Christ has poured out over us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, oaks of integrity, and prophesied that we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go. Broadcast good news for the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Prophesy freedom for captives. Let the blind see. Set free the oppressed. Live jubilee and forgive. Blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Please stick around for the lunch, guys. We'd love to have you stay.